0: Uh, next month and hoping to, to reach out to more families in our neighborhood. So I'm um, just uh, really uh, pleased um, that this ministry is beginning in our church. Um, second, uh, I just want to announce that our, our summer barbecues are going to be beginning, uh, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, Wednesday, July 10th at 530. We've done this ever since our church was just a handful of people in a meeting in a living room. Uh, during the summers, we always meet at a park. Uh, Grill up some burgers, play some volleyball, hang out together. So, uh, put that on your calendar. We'll be doing one, uh, I think, one a month—July, August, and September. But it's really a good uh, time together. Uh, bring a side dish, bring a chair, blanket, and um, so uh, we'll look forward to getting those started together. So, um, we're looking at First John, chapter three, and uh, we're starting in uh, verse nineteen. And this is uh, the word of the Lord, because He is your Savior. 1 John 3.19, by this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence in Our Lord, we ask that uh, this spirit that you have given, you would send now to us to be our teacher, that you would be present uh, in these words, that you'd be taking these words um, that I speak, the words that your uh, holy word speaks, and that you would uh, penetrate the hearts of those who sit here, that we would have attentive hearts to listen, to be taught about the good news of the gospel and uh, we admit that we do not believe often in your goodness. And so would your word teach us, teach our hearts that you are God, that we can trust, that we can love. And I pray for those who are, who are here who, uh, who uh, do not know you, that your word uh, would call them to faith, call them to a relationship with you, call them to trust in your saving grace. I pray that you would do this now by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, this morning we're looking at a passage that deals with, um, I I think, one of the biggest questions that kind of people in our culture are asking uh, themselves, asking themselves about their own life. And um, the question is how can I be confident? How can I be a confident person? You know, how can I go into the world, into my work, into relationships, and feel, you know, at ease with myself? I uh, feel like I can speak my mind, feel like I can, you know, be myself. How do I do that? Uh, it, I, I feel so constrained. I feel so guarded. I feel like I'm not myself. I feel like things don't flow to me. I, I'm, I'm always checking everything. I live in fear. How can I be a confident person? Big question, right? I'm actually, you know, th- this is a... Uh, there are a tremendous amount of, of books and seminars uh, uh, being made through, throughout our culture. You go into Barnes & Noble, they're all over the place of how do you become uh, this free person? And um, there's the, a whole industry uh, built around this question uh, you know, of building my self-esteem. How can I raise my sense of self of who I am and be confident and comfortable with who I am and go into the world boldly? And uh, actually, I've, uh, I've shared with... Uh, Most of you, that as a as a teenager, uh, kind of the one of the uh, monumental events of my life. I was in a lot of trouble, and my parents had me kidnapped in the middle of the night, and I was sent away to a a behavioral modification program on the island of Western Samoa. And uh, school is kind of a rehab boot camp um, you know neverland lost boys living on a beach meets boot camp, meets dr. Phil meets you know new age whatever uh, mix all that together and I was there for a year and a half in this in this program and um, and the big big part of this program was you went through these seminars about yourself and you know, how, how do you become a confident and functioning, healthy human being, emotionally healthy human being. And kind of the philosophy behind these, uh, these seminars was basically, okay, you got all these kids that have been sent away, they've been in a lot of trouble, they're on drugs, they're dropping out of school, you know, they're stealing stuff, they're behaving badly, they're in gangs, whatever. And, um, um, but the reality is that all these things are kind of surface behaviors that these kids are doing. And really what's happening is under those behaviors are certain emotions that are causing them to do these behaviors. And actually, underneath those emotions, there are certain beliefs, core beliefs, about, um, about the world and about who they are that are informing, causing them to feel the way they are. And so that actually, if you want to change the behavior, you can't just say, stop stop smoking weed, stop dropping out of school, do your homework. You can't say that. You've got to get down to the emotions. And you've got to get even under the emotions to the beliefs. But the most interesting thing, I think, in these seminars was um, that they said that, actually, under the beliefs, the most core part is that um, all these kids, all of us, have these certain core beliefs about ourselves. Um, These certain statements, these certain judgments. They usually sound something like, you know, I'm worthless, I'm stupid, I'm dirty. And these uh, pronouncements uh, kind of live inside of us. Which is kind of a fascinating statement, because what they're saying, basically, is that inside, at the core of our souls, are these judgments. There are these verdicts that are being made. And that these verdicts are the main thing that are kind of holding us back from kind of being free and being myself, is, are these statements. And, um, and that um, these verdicts live inside of you, and then they grow, and then they prove themselves true in your life. Right, so you have all these kids that are, you know, they have this belief: I'm stupid, so they don't go to school, they don't study, and (laughs) they become stupid, right? Because they're they're proving the verdict true, right? And they're worthless, so they sit around and smoke weed all day, and and, you know, don't do anything, and they become worthless, and they're proving the the verdict that's living inside of them true. The verdict lives in there, and then makes itself true. Now, this uh, what's fascinating about this little statement is because look at what John, how John speaks to this this group of Christians in verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us. For whenever our heart condemns us. John seems to think that our hearts are like these little courtrooms. You know, when your heart condemns you, there's little verdicts being passed, judgments that are being passed inside your heart. And I think most of us know exactly what a condemning heart feels like. You know what a, a condemning heart sounds like. And I, I mean, I imagine that for many of us, there are racing verdicts and judgments that are being pronounced by our heart in the inner, in our inner lives all the time. Our heart feels like a constant courtroom, and we're constantly hearing these verdicts. And what John says is very, uh, uh, is is very similar to what these these programs are saying: was that you have a verdict living inside of you. But the reason that this passage is so important for us is because the remedy, you know, what's the remedy? Okay, I have a condemning heart. I have of these verdicts being pronounced. i got the courtroom living inside of me that's driving my whole life, and I'm proving the verdict's true. What do I do with it? What's the remedy? And what John says is actually our culture's remedy of, uh, you know, you need to love yourself. Now, listen, do you need to love yourself? Yes, we should all, it's not a good thing when we hate ourselves. But the idea that raising our self-esteem is really uh, the answer that we need is, is a remedy that is grossly inadequate. It will fail you every time. And I'll tell you that I was in this program, around 300 other kids are on drugs, and they're in gangs, and they're dropping out of school, and they hate their parents, and again and again, and I, I saw that this failed. But the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has come and provided a new verdict for me, a verdict from God, a verdict that God pronounces on me, is life-changing and will give you true confidence and true freedom. It's in the gospel. And so this morning what I want to do is we look at this passage pretty carefully is I want to look at how the gospel quiets our condemning hearts and leads us into true confidence, true freedom. How the gospel quiets. And um, what we're going to see is that, you know, Christians uh, believe that there's one God, but there's one God in three persons, right? The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that these three persons are one God, and they work together for our salvation. And actually, you'll see this kind of Trinitarian uh, idea coming out in this passage. Just look at verse 20, for God is, greater, uh, God is greater than our heart. That's the Father. Verse 23, and this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. And verse 24, by the Spirit whom he has given. So you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are together, working together to quiet our condemned condemning hearts the courtroom that's going on inside of us and they're each contributing something to our renewal and so i want to look at what are the things that in the gospel each of those persons the father the son and the holy spirit contribute to us and we're going to look at each three of them uh, each of those three uh, as we go through this passage and the first thing that they contribute is this we see in this passage that in the gospel we get the verdict of the father We get the verdict of the Father. Now, uh, John, you know, raises this question of the condemning heart, you know, the courtroom in the heart. In verse 20, he says this, For whenever our heart condemns us, and this is his response, whenever our hearts, whenever your heart condemns you, God is greater than our hearts. is there just life in that statement? Isn't there just hope in that statement? When you're dealing with your heart and how loud it is and the things that it says to you and you say that God's greater than your hearts, is that good news already? <laughs> but now, in what way is God greater than our heart? And I want to argue that God's verdict is greater than the verdict that our hearts gives. He gives a, a, a greater verdict, and it's greater in two ways. First of all, His verdict is stronger. The pronouncement that God makes on our, our on our lives is stronger than the verdict that our hearts make. And um, you know, it's interesting. So I mentioned I went to these seminars, uh, you know, where we deal with these core beliefs. You know, I'm worthless. I'm stupid. And, and you know, we went through these uh, you know processes, these visualizations. Where, you know, we got under the behaviors, to the emotions, and down to these core beliefs, and everyone's bawling their eyes out, and like, oh, I'm worthless, and I hate myself, and all this stuff. The heart's wide open, and it's like, okay, now's the time to apply the remedy, right? And the remedy was that you're supposed to come up with a statement that you basically yell at yourself, which is your new verdict. And so mine was, I'm a loving and free young man. And actually, in this seminar, there's a part where you get up, and I had like five guys around me yelling at me like, no, you're worthless, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I'm a loving and free young man. I'm a loving and free young man. I'm yelling at everyone. I'm a loving and free young man. And I did that for like an hour, and it's trying to pound it into my heart. I'm a loving and free young man. And um, no matter how much I yelled (laughs) at these people, I told myself that it never penetrated and never satisfied that I'm a loving and free young man. I didn't care. Hearing my own voice yelling, I'm a loving and free man, meant nothing to me. So God is greater than my heart, first of all, because his verdict, his pronouncement is stronger. His, uh, uh, my voice wasn't strong enough to penetrate my soul. Only God's voice was. Only the Father's voice. And this makes sense. Because, you know, most of us, we go around when we're trying to get other people's approval and other people's verdict to say, you're a good person. Well, I accept you. You're, you know, does, does their voice ever penetrate us? Is it ever satisfying? Is it ever enough? No. It doesn't penetrate us. And so if other people's voice doesn't, why would my own voice? I'm just a human just like them. And so I need the voice of the Creator. That very voice that um, spoke mountain ranges into existence, the voice that commands galaxies to come and make a pronouncement on my heart that you are accepted, you are loved, you are embraced. And only that voice, only that verdict is strong enough uh, to really transform our hearts. And let me just tell you, um, the reason for that is because that's what you were made for. You know why is it that your brain is wired in a certain way that you're always you got a courtroom going on inside your heart? Why is there a courtroom in your heart? Why did evolution? If there's if you were just made by you know from monkeys, why is there why is there a a courtroom going on in your heart? The reason there's a courtroom in your heart is because you were made to stand before God and for Him to make a pronouncement on what your life is worth, and your soul will not let you forget that, and you will be chasing a verdict until it has been addressed, until the courtroom in your heart has been addressed. And, um, and the only voice that will matter to say what you are worth is the voice of your Father in heaven, the voice of God himself. Okay, so first of all, uh, God, God is greater than our hearts because his verdict is stronger, stronger than my words yelling at myself. But second, um, um, you know, when, I, uh, when I'm yelling at myself saying, I'm a loving and free young man, I'm a loving and free young man, there's another problem with that, Right? What's the other problem? <laughs> I'm not a loving and free young man, right? I'm this punk kid. We got to get sent away for a year and a half because I'm mistreating my parents. I'm selfish. I'm, I'm not free. I'm completely driven by the approval of my friends. I'm anything but a loving and free young man. So, of course, what's going to happen? The, the, the second problem, the second reason why we need the verdict of the father is because his verdict is truer. His verdict is stronger and his ver- verdict is truer. Is that a word? Is it more true? You, English majors, figure that out. Okay. Uh, his, his verdict is truer. And uh, you even see that, you see that in this text where he says, verse 20, for, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. He knows everything. He, uh, he really knows who I am. I don't even understand my own soul, my own life. He searches the depths of my soul and my mind. He knows every thought, word, and deed, and intention. He knows. So when he makes a verdict on my life, it's going to be true. It's going to be strong. And your heart will not believe a forgery. So if I just yell at myself, "You're a loving and free young man," my heart it's not going to penetrate, because my heart knows it's a forgery. It's not the verdict that I'm really looking for, and it's not a true verdict. And now um, that might not be reassuring to us, right? We say, "Well, well, God's verdict is true, and He knows everything that's in my heart, He knows all my thoughts and intentions. How's that going to be? <laughs> um, good news? Because how am I going to get a good verdict out of this? It's going to be a bad verdict. And, um, you know, I I think uh, one thing that I might, one of the reasons why it's hopeful to have the truth of God's verdict is because um, the Bible also tells us that that, um, what's happening in our condemning hearts, in the courtroom inside of our hearts, is there are many lies happening there, too, right? Actually, many of you know this, that the name Satan uh, is is the word, uh, the accuser. And what Satan loves to do is to accuse us and to say, uh, to say these things like, you're worthless, God would never love you, and uh, you have no hope in the world. And so uh, part of what's happening inside of us is we're full of lies, so we need a true verdict that's going to clear away the lies, that's going to say something true. And um, let me just take a side note just to speak for a second um, you know you, you may have asked the question okay I've heard that before that inside Satan speaks lies that condemn me how do I distinguish between Satan speaking lies about um, that I'm a bad person versus the Holy Spirit convicting me of sin that I'm really doing that needs to change my life well, you know what's the difference and you know a couple of things that might be helpful first of all when Satan speaks lies to us they're usually vague there are things like uh, you could never do anything good. You know wh- what sin is being convicted of there. <laughs> the Holy Spirit names that word that you that you spoke to your coworker, to your spouse, to your children. Uh, you were trying to hurt them. It's cutting. You see, it's specific. It's concrete. It's not some because the generalities of of you're worthless and God would never love you. That kind of lie. What are you going to do with that? It just leaves you sitting in depression. But but the conviction can lead you to repentance. Okay, But the second thing is that when when the Holy Spirit um, uh, convicts us of the truth of sin in our lives is that the Holy Spirit will always lead you to Jesus. After the Holy Spirit convicts you, the Holy Spirit leads you to the Savior, the only one that can uh, calm and uh, deal with the sin that is in our hearts. And that's the second thing that we get in the gospel. So that on the one hand, what we really need in the gospel is we need an outside voice, not Nate's voice telling me that I'm accepted. I need the voice of my creator to say, you're accepted, you're approved. I need that voice. I need the verdict of my father. But second, what we get in the gospel is the name of his son. We get the name of his son, Jesus. And, um, you know, one of the things, this passage, this little paragraph I read to you is, is a uh, passage about uh, assurance, right? If you, if you look at the, the, the first verse that I read and the last verse, they both, beg- they both have this statement, verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth, right? By this we shall know. And then uh, verse 24, and by this we know that he abides in us, how do I know that I really have God's verdict, that I'm accepted, that I'm approved by him? That's what the, actually, that's what the whole letter of 1 John is about. At the, the closing statement of uh, 1 John in chapter 5, verse 13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may have confidence, that you may feel secure, that you may be reassured. That's the whole point of this letter. And um, if I say, okay... The only verdict, voice that's strong enough to really penetrate my soul to mean anything, is the voice of my Father in heaven. How can I know that it's going to be a good verdict? How can I, be, how can I uh, take comfort in that? How can I know that I approve of him, that? he approves of me, that he delights in me? How, how can I know that? Well, there's an interesting answer. Um, actually, the answer that he gives, and let me explain this, it, first, that John gives in this letter, is that we know by keeping his commandments. Now, uh, look at, and I'll, this is, let me just show you where he says that. Verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before him, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, that might not sound very reassuring. You say, oh, great. So if I keep the commandments, then I can be sure of God's uh, verdict and, and f- know that he loves me. So, well, that's not going to work. I don't keep his commandments. But you have to ask the question... Um, what are the commandments? And in the next verse, he tells us what the commandments are. Verse 23, and this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. That you believe. Um, How do I know that my creator's verdict, uh, that he loves me, um, how can I be sure of that? How can I rest in it? He says, believe, which means to rest in Trust in, stand in the name of his son, Jesus. Right? It's not this holistic, command. It's not like you've got to do all these things, you've got to work so hard. He says, believe in what Jesus has done for you in such a way that it causes you to love other people. And you, you might say, well, wh- what does that mean? Um, believe the gospel in such a way that it causes me to love other people. Well, let me, let me, uh, let me try to explain this. This is kind of a negative example, but I think it kind of illustrates how this verdict works in our lives. So uh, I had a friend when I was in seminary, he was doing college ministry, I've and I maybe shared this story with you, um, who had met a gal, she was probably 19. Have, uh, she had lots of problems happening in her life. She was bipolar. She, was, uh, she had been into inpatient programs for, uh, for substance abuse. Um, she was, uh, I think, even suicidal and had many troubles when he met her. And it turned out that uh, in uh, as he learned more about her family and her life, that when she was uh, younger, she had a younger brother who, uh, when he was 13, had died of cancer. And after he died, uh, I don't know how this came up, but her parents kind of sat her down. Or they were having a conversation with her parents, and her parents made it clear to her that they had wished that she had died instead of the brother. They said, the brother's a favorite, and, and we wished it had been you. This devastating moment. And what was happening right there? is a courtroom, and there she is uh, in the dock, and the judges are making their pronouncement, what does your life work, and a verdict is being placed on her life at the beginning of her life. She hasn't even lived it. She's just a kid. She hasn't even started, and yet the verdict has been pronounced, and now the verdict is living inside of her, and it's proving itself true as she lives her life. And this is odd because we would think it would be the other way, right? You'd think that you'd live your life and I would do good things or I'd have relationships or I'd work. And and then at the end of my life, after I'd done everything, then I would get a verdict. And yet there's something about the way the world has worked or humanity is wired that it's possible to get your verdict at the beginning of your life and then have the verdict live itself out and prove itself in you. And actually, um, this is exactly what the gospel does except in a good way. <laughs> the gospel is um, that when you begin your Christian life and you believe in the name, Jesus, the name of Jesus, you get his verdict. Before I've done anything, I haven't done anything good. I believed in his name, I've trusted in it, and God has pronounced on me, and the, the way that I delight in my, my son Jesus, the way that he is loving and wise and good, and I see him and I approve of him, I approve of you before you've done anything. And then what happens is when that verdict lives in you, it begins to pour itself out it prove itself true in the way that you live by loving other people. It's a reversal. And I'll tell you, many people um, get this backwards, right? Actually, there's two theological words for this, these two parts of the verdict, and then it living itself out in you. So the theological term for the verdict is called justification. Justification is a courtroom word. And when someone is justified, it means they've been declared righteous by God. And so when we believe in Jesus, we are declared righteous. We get his pronouncement. And then sanctification is as our life gradually changes as we begin to believe who we are in Christ. And so what we have here is that you have a father who's giving you a new, new verdict from the outside and saying you are loved, you are proved. And he's giving you the name of his son so that you can know that, um, that he has lived the life that I should have lived. He died the death that I should have died. And I can know that I wear his righteousness. And I'm approved by him. Okay? So now, um, this, is, this is brilliant. This reversal. The verdict comes at the beginning. It doesn't come at the end. Because many people, many Christians even, think of their life as, I better be good, I better be good, I'm chasing after the verdict, and I hope at the end God will approve of me. And yet the gospel is the opposite. John's saying you first believe and then you love. You first believe and you're counted righteous and then you love out of that. Okay? Okay? Now, I began this sermon talking about confidence. Now, what does all this have to do with feeling like I can be myself, I can speak my mind, I can, uh, I can be free? And it's, it's terribly important because uh, confidence comes from good theology. It really does. And until you're ready to deal with the courtroom in your heart, that's exactly what John's saying here. Until you're ready to deal with the courtroom in your heart, You'll never experience true confidence. And the way you deal with that courtroom is through the gospel. You have God's pronouncement in Jesus. And uh, if you look, uh, this is what happens when you do that. Look at verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us. So first he says, whenever our hearts condemn us, God's greater than your heart. And then he says, but now this is what life is like when your heart doesn't condemn you. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, If um, we have confidence with God. And that word confidence, you know what it is? It's it's like frankness. I I can speak my mind, I I can be bold, I, I I don't I don't have to be guarded he says, you can have that kind of freedom with God to just speak your mind and be, and, and, and say, what you, say what's on your mind before him. And if you can do that before the creator of the universe, how much more can you do that before people? If, you, if that's really coming into your heart, I can say what I want. I'm a child of God. I'm embraced and accepted by God. How much more with other people that I can say, you're just a mere mortal. I don't care what you have to say about me. I have the verdict of my father. Now, many of us will say, okay, that sounds, um, I, I want that. I want, I want to believe that. I want this, the, the courtroom in my heart to be silenced. I want to believe the verdict of my father. I want to trust that I have Christ's righteousness clothed in me. But how do I really believe that? I mean, how does my new verdict become louder than the old verdict? Right? How does the new verdict become louder? Because um, I've become a Christian. I've believed. And i uh, and yet, I'm still struggling to, to know that, that God sees me that way and that he loves me because of what Christ has done. Well, we get a third thing in the gospel. Not just the verdict of the Father in the name of the Son, but we get the voice of his Spirit. We get the voice of his Spirit. And um, um, you look at what John says here in the end of verse 34. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given. By the spirit whom he has given. This is uh, uh, Romans chapter 8 says something very similar. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And what, uh, what John is saying here is that when our hearts condemn us, we need a counter voice. I am here. I have this voice that's, that's pronouncements that are coming out of my heart. I need something else in there speaking and pronouncing the true verdict that I have in my Father. And what is that? He says, God himself, the Spirit, comes and lives in you and bring, begins to remind you, to whisper to you, to persuade you, to convince you, this is who you are. You are a child of God. You are embraced. You are loved. That's your verdict. And, um, you know, I mentioned uh, uh, earlier that, you know, how do I discern between... Satan speaking lies in my heart, the evil one speaking lies in my heart, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things is that the Holy Spirit drives me to Jesus. He's always speaking about Jesus. He's always speaking about what Christ has done for me. And that's how I can recognize the voice of the Spirit is because he's always pointing me to Christ. He throws me into the arms of Jesus, who is my only righteousness. And so what that means is, for those of you who are coming here today, and you say, I see so many sins in Maybe in every area of my life, I see anger in, in my family. I, I see, uh, maybe I see laziness. Maybe I see a distrust and bitterness of God. Maybe I, I see my heart filled with lust. Um, how, I, you know, I'm critical of other people, I'm tearing other people down, I'm ungrateful, and uh, all these things are in my heart, and it seems like such a mess to deal with all that. How could I possibly know that God? Uh, is, is pleased with me, is delighted with me. And what the Holy Spirit does is when you see all those things, the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you have all those things. But you also have a Savior who's covered them with his blood. On the cross, he had said, it is finished. And you are delighted in You are approved of. You have that verdict. And he loves you. And, uh, and, and he loves you even now and so that your sin, even your sins, become an opportunity to go back to Jesus and experience His grace again. You say, "How is God going to use any of this sin, my laziness, my bitterness, my critical spirit? How is He using any of that? How is He glorified in it? He's glorified by you using it, the Holy Spirit using it to send you to Jesus, to rejoice in His grace." And um, you know, there was a, a, I heard recently uh, about an interview with Greg LuGanis. Greg LuGanis was a, a diver from kind of '80s and uh, and. He, uh, Greg Louganis was kind of known for, uh, you know, in practice he'd be kind of an okay diver and he'd mess up a lot, you know, he cracked his head on a, a, in like a preliminary uh, dive and he hit his head on the diving board. And yet always when it came down to, you know, the gold medal dive, he would just nail it and he was just gold after gold after gold. And someone in an interview asked him, how is it, how do you get up there and then when it comes down, you know, you're, you're kind of doing okay and then when it comes down to the crucial dive, you just nail it, what, what is your secret? And he says that uh, whenever I get to the end of the diving board and I'm getting ready to do my dive, I know that even if I completely botch this dive, when I get to the side of the pool, my mom will still love me. <laughs> my mom doesn't care. She loves me, and then I nail it. <laughs> and that's it. where does confidence come from is when you know that I send myself into the world, and you have the verdict of a father who loves you, you can't mess it up. The, the verdict is finished. Jesus has paid for all your sin. He's lived the life that you should have lived. And when I know I go into the world, that no matter what happens, my father loves me and he accepts me, that's when you're going to begin to taste true freedom. And you're going to experience that. And let me just assure you, he does. He does love you. Be at ease. Take a deep breath. Find rest in your body and in your soul, knowing you don't have to prove yourself to him. Jesus has merited your approval already. Rest in that love. And so um, let me just say this. If you're here today and uh, you would not say that you're a Christian, and, and you would say, what does it mean to be a Christian? You know, Boil it down. That Bible's a big book. I you know may have started reading. There's a lot in there. Give me it in a nutshell. This is a nutshell, is that the gospel gives you the verdict of Jesus, and it's a free gift. And that no other verdict will satisfy you. And of course, no other verdict will work before God, because he is the true judge. And when we embrace Jesus as a free gift, we're clothed in his righteousness, and we stand before God approved. And when you stand before God approved, you can't help but begin to love other people. You can't begin but to... Start forgiving others and start being generous because God's been generous with you and to be patient with others because God's been so patient with you. And this is the essence of what the gospel is, is that you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. And God here, he commands you, that's his commandment, is to believe, to trust, to rest. And if you believe today, uh, you will begin to experience what true confidence is. Let's pray together. Our Lord, uh, we thank you for the good news of the gospel, that we are not chasing after your verdict, but we have your final, final verdict even today, since we have believed. Would that verdict, would that love live inside of us and transform us and make us into a community that loves one another? We thank you for your grace, in Jesus' name.